The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Travelers Championship. And joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, I think we got a double intro music. Did you hear that, or am I am I imagining that? Well, no, you're not imagining it. It's because there's just two of us, Rick, and they had to just give us some sort of tandem intro. So I thought that was pretty cool. Thank you, Jacob. Producer Jacob, uh, one intro music for for each one of us as we go too wide today. Greg Ducharme, not with us. He's working somewhere. but we, we gave him the day off from the pod, but I'm sure he's out there rocking and rolling somewhere doing something. I don't know what he's up to. Something golf related, I'm sure. Hey, Rick, by the way, before we get started, I, I do want to say that I don't know. I genuinely have no idea how many people listen to the round four recap that you guys do every single Sunday night. I, it's riveting. And I'm not even just just saying that because I'm, I'm on this show, but the, your conversation specifically about Louis Ustazen and, and, and choking and contextualizing choking. I, I think it's something everybody actually needs to hear. And I, I because we hear it everywhere. We hear it in basketball. We hear it in, we hear it in every major sport. And I just thought the way that you and Mark and Greg and Kyle kind of contextualized that was was kind of brilliant. And I think people need to hear it. Well, thank you. Um, you know, while we're tooting our own horns, I, I do think that the the group of guys that we have, right, the different perspectives, especially on the Sunday evening one from, from last night where, you know, Mark is out there on the course. He sees a lot. Kyle, very knowledgeable about the history, what's going on with trends. And then Greg from a kind of a, also an instructor's angle. It, it, it really does... Like I, I never really know what they're going to say sometimes, which I think is good. Like I'll, I'll ask a question, I'll pose it out there and I don't know what's going to come back to me. And I think that that does turn into a riveting conversation because a lot of times we don't agree. Yeah, well, that's I mean, and that can bo- be both good and bad, depending on who the listener is, I guess. But it almost doesn't matter. It's almost just secondary to the conversation itself, whether you agree or disagree. So I, I just I'm glad I caught up with that. I mean, I, I do listen to it every Sunday and it was uh, it was really good. So well, much, much appreciated. We'll be back at it this Sunday as well for a final round recap. Also, before we jump in, I've got a year long subscription to Sportsline to give away last week's winner, Ryan McCuller. Congratulations, you have won a year-long subscription to Sportsline. And if you would also like to enter a draw to win a year-long subscription to Sportsline, it is super easy to do. All you have to do is leave a comment on this video, the YouTube version, with any golfer playing this week. If that golfer makes the cut, you will be eligible to win a free year-long subscription to Sportsline. Obviously, we need to be able to get in touch with you, so in your comment... Leave that player's name, leave your Twitter handle, and also make sure you're following at First Cut Pod on Twitter so that we can DM you. 
easy as that. Sia, you have to pick a golfer to make the cut this week to enter the draw in which you are not eligible for. Who would you pick? (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that there's a guy, and we'll talk about him. This is my long-winded answer like I always do. Who, in ball striking, in the ball striking metric, has gained strokes ball striking in 20 consecutive tournaments. That's the guy I'm picking. And that's my teaser for the rest of the show. In fact, it might be 22 because two of those rounds weren't measured. But his placement led me to believe that it was actually 22 rounds in a row. The last time he didn't gain strokes ball striking was not the last PGA Championship, but the PGA Championship before that, which I believe was August of 2020. Any guesses? Well, it's not a 10K guy, right? It is not. Um. I feel like I stumbled upon this guy earlier. Uh, is it Abraham answer? No, I think that's a pretty good guess. But in let you know, when we get, to, I'm going to tell you who okay. it is in a second, but we'll, we'll pull it up on rickrungood.com because maybe I looked at it wrong, but I, I took like three looks at it because I'm like, this makes no sense. By the way, he's in the 7K range. That should give you a really big hint. High 7K range. I think I stumbled. Uh, oh, I think this is the guy I've already bet this week. <laughs> Me too. Please, please tell me it's Keegan. Tell me it's it Keegan. is. It is indeed Keegan Bradley. <laughs> it is indeed. I have bet him and I have bet Aaron Wise already. Ty Cobb uh, out of, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, out of the grave, making comments on YouTube. Ty Cobb says to make the cut, Keegan Bradley, it's his home course. He is a New England guy. We're, we're going to spend plenty of oxygen on Keegan Bradley this week. I have already revealed I've wagered on him. He has already revealed that he has wagered on him. So plenty of good conversation to come. We will make that case all day long. Now let's talk about the course here. See a TPC River Highlands. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen. This is Rick Run Good. As you mentioned, this is my website. It's data, it's tools, it's information to help you make better decisions. And this is a course that has played Hostia since 1984. It is not only kind of a, a unique course, which we can talk about, but we have a lot of great data because it's played. it's been played here for so long. Yeah, it is. And it's it's interesting because the more you go back, the more you realize that this is a course that really caters to anyone and everyone, whether you're a bomber like DJ or Bryson or whether you're just a, you know, a shorter guy like Shez Rivi. I mean, everything, everybody is in play. I mean, I, I genuinely think that if you're in the 7K range and I'm talking DraftKings, of course, 7K range and above, you got you kind of have a shot at this thing. And so it's interesting when we talk about what strengths we're going to require for this course in terms of the metrics we always look at. I, you know, I, I know off the tee, you know, grades out really well versus in terms of it's really important versus other PGA Tour courses. But, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be my emphasis this week. Rick, I have a feeling it's going to be yours because that's sort of what the numbers say. But, uh, you know, I'm always sort of biased and fixated on approach. But to your larger point, this this. This course brings everybody in play. There's not there's not a prototypical golfer that is going to win this course. Yeah, that's right. I certainly bend the knee to the data. We'll talk about that in just one second. It is a par 70, 6,800 yards. It's a, both a bent grass and Poana mix. Of course, when you get up into the Northeast, you're seeing a lot of that bent grass, and it is a peat dye design. So we're going to talk more about that. But yeah, you're, you're right, Sia. This is really... I don't know. Maybe there's four or five events on the PGA Tour schedule that I don't want to say 
don't require distance because you can win a lot of different ways, but distance is not necessarily a huge prerequisite for success. Does it help? Of course, it helps everywhere we go. But the idea that Ches Revy could win, the idea that you don't have to be a bomber as long as you're, you know, in the fairway, it turns into a wedge fest at times. If you're rolling the rock well, there, there's just a lot of different ways to get there by the time Sunday afternoon rolls around. And I also think there's a second level to this that people really need to understand. When when you talk about like a Bryson DeChambeau and you're like, man, he's he's really going to whack the ball and, and it's going to be, you know, 100 yards from the hole, 85 yards from the hole, whatever it is. Everybody else is going to be operating from 125, 135, whatever. Well, you might want to take a look at how Bryson hits that second shot from that proximity, because if it's bad, then he's sort of brought himself back to the field. I mean, it's it's great that you can hit it to 85 to the hole, but but if you're not good from that distance, well, then, you know, what difference does it make? It, so I, I think when you look at your Brysons or, or your guys that are kind of the heavier hitters, your, your DJs and what have you, you, you kind of have to take that second step. You can't just assume that because it's a shorter proximity, oh yeah, he's going to be really good at that, because it's really about how he grades out versus is the field and and we know just from recent history Bryson really doesn't have that he th- that's not in his arsenal I don't know if he's just not practicing it because he's just so enamored with himself off the tee but the reality is that those shorter proximities he's just not very good yeah we're gonna br- when we get to the 10k range I'll bring up his proximity numbers and we can kind of talk through that a little bit more so this is this is my course key stats model this is the data that you were referencing earlier Sia this is where I take the last 12 years of results the last 12 years of every PGA Tour statistic and I compare them and I say what types of players are having success at every single one of these courses and strokes gained off the tee graded out as the most important. Now, when I say that, it mean, I mean that there are only nine other courses on the PGA Tour in which strokes gained off the tee is more important. Strokes gained approach value-wise was very close to strokes gained off the tee, but when you start ranking it against other courses, since strokes gained approach is always valuable, it was about middle of the road for me. So I certainly understand the importance of approach game, what you're describing, where um, it, it's easy to waste a drive. If you, if you can't stuff it close, if you can't then eventually roll in the putt or at least give yourself a chance to roll in the putt. But uh, first steps first, get yourself in the fairway, get yourself in play and see if you can take this course apart with a wedge. Yeah, and I think that's why some of my emphasis, I, I tend to isolate my metrics just to, like very granularly, which is an extremely hard word to say, by the way, you should try it for everybody listening at home. Well, is it extremely um, granularly? Yeah, granularly, which I'm not even sure at this point is a word because it's just so darn difficult to pronounce. They shouldn't do that to us. But the point is, I don't necessarily look at uh, metrics that are that are pushed together. In other words, like T to green, I like to isolate. I like to filter it down. But I will say that ball striking, and I'm just talking, of course, off the tee and approach, I think that's a metric that you can look at in terms of grouping stats together. Now, of course, that's going to take out the around the green game, but I don't know how important that's going to be on this particular course because if you're not stuffing it on the green on your second shot on a par four, you're like you're 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 in pretty big trouble here, I think. So I think ball striking is going to be pretty important. The other thing that I find pretty interesting is that we have seen some incredibly low rounds at TPC River Highlands. Jim Furyk's 58. DJ shot a 61 in route to victory last year. Patrick Cantlay shot a 60 here, still the lowest round by an amateur. He did that in 2011. Matt Mac Hughes opened with a 60 last year, but the weird part, Sia it doesn't really translate to the overall winning score. If I told you that you would think we were at 24, 25 under par because everyone has decimated it. 
Not really the case. The last time we saw this get to 20 under it was 2011. It mostly sits 14, 15, 16, maybe 17 under par. Yeah, that's interesting. No, you're right. When you think of like what Jim Furyk, I mean, it's funny the contrast there too because we're talking about how anybody can win, and you're talking about like you know these these crazy numbers that Jim Furyk and your DJs who, who couldn't be the more polar opposites. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that, that's it's an interesting point. I mean, I I think you're right. I think people think this thing's going to get to like 22 under or something, and it's going to be like a, a like a pitch and putt. But no, you're right. It, it, it's going to be. I mean, you, you got to be a scorer, but that doesn't mean you're going to be you know birdieing every hole. All right, let's pull up the cheat sheet here. So this is uh, where we go tier by tier. Let's start with that $10,000 range. Dustin Johnson, no longer the number one player in the world, although I think a T5 or better gets it back this week. He's 11,400. He's our defending champion. Bryson DeChambeau, who we're going to have to talk about, 11,100. Brooks Kepka 10-7. Can't like 10-4. And Patrick Reed, 10,000. Maybe not the name I was expecting to round out the $10,000 range. So Sia, take your pick here. Where are we going and what are we avoiding? So I think there's three guys I like here and they're not going to be really any surprise to anybody. I like DJ. I like Patrick Cantley. I think I might like Bryson DeChambeau, but, but I haven't really decided on him. Um, in, in fact, that's exactly what I said yesterday on our first look show. I wasn't sure about but about Bryson, but I do like DJ. I do like where he is headed, where his game is headed. He's been striking the ball, you know, not not as good as DJ normally does, but the last couple of tournaments, DJ has really kind of turned it on. The, the putter was kind of pedestrian last week at the U.S. Open, other than one round where he gained almost five strokes putting. Um, but, but that's sort of evidence that DJ... And we know this about DJ, that DJ can get hot with the putter. And if DJ gets hot with the putter on this course with his ball striking that we know he can do in terms of what his potential is, he's got the type of upside where I think he's one of a handful of players that can kind of run away with this thing. I too... I believe I'm warming on Dustin Johnson. You know, we have not seen... Again, this is only by his own standards, but here in 2021, he... He hasn't been good. An eighth place finished at Riviera. That's that's his best finish. A couple of missed cuts in two of the major championships, but he finished 10th at Palmetto. He finished 19th at the U.S. Open. I like this right here. The five straight events that he's been very good with the driver. We're starting to see gains again with the irons. That's the big part. He hits it so far. He hits it so great. He has a wedge in hand. Often you have to take advantage of that. I'm not even that worried about this right here, Sia, which is the around the green game. He's been bleeding strokes around mm -hmm. the green. A week like this, I start to think, uh, if you're having to tap into that, you're not winning this golf tournament anyway. I don't really care. See if you can roll a hot putter. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely warming on Dustin Johnson. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with sort of minimizing the around the green game. I, I'll factor it in to a very small degree, but it's definitely not the type of thing you really want to be looking at because you do want to, you know, make it to the green on approach for sure. And, and, I, and I anticipate the people who are, you know, towards the top 20, the top 30 will be doing that on a very consistent basis in terms of uh, greens and hitting greens and regulation. But I'll, I'll mention, you know, Patrick Cantlay is really interesting. I, I think it's pretty clear his game has turned around. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay saying that. I think his history here is is really good, as is DJ's, obviously, the, the returning champion. I'm looking at his history now. It is, yeah, it's good. It's 11th, 15th, 15th in the last three years. You know, with that said, there is, there is a couple watchouts. I mean, his approach game has been a little hit or miss, particularly from some of the proximities that, that I have been sort of focusing on. Even if you scale it all the way down to like 12 rounds from, let's say, 24, it, it, I am a little worried about the approach game, just a little bit. But overall, I think 
I mean, Patrick Cantley rates out just fine. Uh, the putter has come around, I think, yes. so I'm not too worried about that. The putter really put him into that that mini slump. That was when he lost strokes putting in seven consecutive events. If you start scrolling back on my database here, I probably can't find another time in which he had, he had lost strokes in seven consecutive events. Now he breaks out of that. He's putted well over his last two. It's resulted in a win at the Memorial and a 15th place finish at the U.S. Open. And while we're here, while we're talking about Patrick Cantlay, we can do the whole Pete Dye narrative thing. Uh, Pete Dye has a lot of courses on the PGA Tour. A lot of them have very similar elements. If you want to look at Pete Dye's specialist since the start of 2015. The man that stands alone at the top is Patrick Cantlay. He's played 49 rounds on die designs. He's averaging a stroke 1.85 strokes gains per round. It's the best of anybody in this field. So there's, there's certainly that look at it as well. Yeah. And I love when the picks match the narrative instead of creating the narrative to match the picks. And, and <laughs> if you look at the three of the top four there, and we can talk about Adam Scott, but Cantlay, DeChambeau, and Dustin Johnson, those, those are the three I like in this elite range. So, I mean, that that's certainly adding up. Let's go to Bryson because I think that there is going to be a lot of confusion. There's going to be a lot of questions about what to do with him. He was nine holes away from becoming your two-time back-to-back defending you know, U.S. Open champion uh, before he absolutely implodes. I, I can't imagine there are many people who missed what he did and are just going to look at the box score. My point being, Sia, that he played much better than the T26 indicates, right? He had, he had four really horrible holes uh, to, to make that happen. And he's, I believe, got three consecutive top 10 finishes here at TPC River Highlands. Now, the, the flip side to that is, will there be any hangover? Uh, and also, you started to discuss the proximities, the, the proximities that I assume as we get much closer to the hole, Bryson is not very good at. So, you know, these are, these are official... Uh, PGA Tour proximity. So 500 to, or excuse me, 50 to 125, he's 198th. 75 to 100 yards, 208th. 50 to 75 yards, 209th. I mean, when it, it, it's, it's really an, I understand why. It's a very awkward uh, distance for him because he is so long off the tee. He has to hit these kind of like little mini wedges that it, like, it's not a full shot anywhere close to it. So, so he has struggled historically with those. Yeah. And so that's, that's definitely a big worry. I mean, can he rein that in for, for four days? Yeah. And can he get a hot putter? Yeah. But in, when I'm choosing between him and DJ or him and Cantley, I, I mean, I mean, we saw Cantley's approach numbers. I mean, I, I did mention a couple of his proximities that I thought were li- a little shaky, but his approach numbers, the last couple of tournaments are like off the charts. So when I compare somebody like that to a Bryson, unless there's an ownership issue, I mean, we are talking about DFS. So unless a guy like Bryson is just, you know, minimally owned which he's not going to be then then i don't know that i'm going to turn that direction and to bryson's credit from 200 to 225 and 225 to 250 he is one of the best on the pga tour which makes complete sense that that makes sense so i i think a lot of people are going to be scratching their head head this week see trying to figure out what to do with bryson and maybe maybe we wait a couple of days and see how the ownership shakes out on him and I'm not looking at the, the the card right now, but to your point, that 200 to 225 proximity, it might be a little bit more important than we think. I mean, especially with the with the two par fives we have, but also the par three. So, I mean, it's not like that's completely taken out of the picture because we're on a shorter course. So that's certainly going to help him. 
the two par threes on the front are both over 200 yards. The two par threes on the back are much shorter. 11 is about 158. 16 is about 171. So there could be that that front nine where there's uh, a par five, the par five sixth, and the two longer par threes might be an opportunity and basically a drivable par four for Bryson um, mm-hmm. might, might be where he makes his hay. Okay, um, that leaves us with Brooks and Reed. I mean, we've talked about everybody else in the 10K range. My my thought on Reed is uh, I, I am usually see a much more bullish on Patrick Reed than than most. However, I don't think I can pay ten thousand dollars for him. I mean, I, I thought I think Scotty, I think Paul Casey should be more expensive. I think Scotty Scheffler should be more expensive. I, I just I just think he's mispriced. It's a couple hundred bucks too much. I'm not dying to get him. I don't think I can get there. I'm not going to get there with Patrick Reed. I totally agree. Brooks Kepka. Um, listen, it's, it's a non-major. I have no idea what that means. He has, he finished a ninth in 2016. He had another top 20 in 2018. He doesn't have great results around here. Uh, do we just play major versus non-major game with Brooks Kepka? I, I genuinely hate doing that. But with that said, I mean, he misses the cut at the Palmetto and then boom, at the U S open, he's like Brooks Kepka again. I will say th- this is what I'll say about Brooks Kepka you're playing DFS. I mean, like for me, if I'm playing like a single entry, I don't think I'm paying too much attention to Brooks Kepka. But if I'm in a bigger tournament and I come to realize that Brooks Kepka has, you know, I'm just throwing numbers out because I have no idea what ownership is going to be right now on a Monday. But if he's like, you know, 10% or 9% compared to the DJs of the world and, and the Brysons and maybe the Cantleys who are, you know, between 17 and 22%. I think there's room to play Brooks Kepka in, in that scenario. But in terms of just, hey, I think he's going to do better than these guys. Uh, unfortunately, that major versus non-major narrative does kind of come into play. And and I, I do worry. I mean, I know this sounds kind of ridiculous. We talked about it yesterday on the first look in terms of these guys fly private, you know, what's the big deal? But, you know, you got issues with Brooks and, you know, just his general health in the last, you know, six, eight months. And then he goes from the East Coast to the West Coast now, and he played four rounds, you know, at least last week at the US Open. Then he has to fly back to the East Coast. I mean, how much energy is he giving to this tournament? Uh, I question that. I will probably talk myself into Brooks as the week goes on. I, I think the really the only knock I can say is that it's not a major championship. You know, you look at some of these proximities as he gets closer to the hole. He's ninth from 50 to 75 yards. He's inside the top 30 from 1 to 125, from 150 to 175, from 50 to 125. We're, those are the ranges that are going to be very important that Bryson falls down in. Brooks is much better. You look at he has now gained strokes off the tee uh, in all but one event since, geez, since the turn of the calendar year, it's starting to form a much more Brooks-esque, you know, log of stats here. I, I just, if the only thing I can say that that this is not a major championship, I think that's okay. I agree. If, if you are, <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. If you are, if everything else measures out well and you're like, well, I can't play him because it's not a major, I, you're probably making a mistake. But with that said, I wouldn't jam him into every lineup because yeah. it's not a major. So there's a balancing act there. The $9,000 range, Paul Casey, 9,900. I mentioned I would have probably priced him above Patrick Reed. Scotty Scheffler's 96. I might have also put him above Patrick Reed, although I understand that one a little bit more. Kevin Streelman gets an elite level pricing as our runner up here. And he's played well. He's 94, but he's ahead of Matthew Wolf, Tony Finau, Abraham Anser, and Joaquin Neiman in this range. I think this is a very curious range. I'm not enthralled with it. I think the pricing is a hair off, and I think there are a lot of question marks. 
That's, I mean, I look at Kevin Streelman and his game has been really, really good, but 9,400, it's just, it's, it's kind of like you almost chuckle to yourself. Like, what, what are we doing here? It's, you know, it's been great. He's been great, but he has. at the same time, we're pricing him above Abraham answer. We are pricing him above, I mean, legitimate, I don't want to say stars, but very, very good golfers. What is he? 90, how much is he? 94? 9,400. All right, I'm in the rickrungood.com database. Uh, the most expensive Kevin Streelman has ever been was 10,000. Oh my God, 10,000 at the 2019 John Deere Classic. He was then 9,400 at the 2018 Sanderson Farms. That's it. This is the third most expensive that uh, Kevin Streelman has been in the last five years or so. I cannot imagine I get to Kevin Streelman this week. Yeah, I don't think I get to him either, especially since this range is is pretty rich with talent. I mean, obviously, there's not much to not like about Paul Casey. I I think when we talk about Paul Casey, you know, he doesn't sound like a sexy name. He doesn't sound like a guy that's going to take down a tournament. But I mean, he's he's proven his medal, particularly this year. I mean, seventh last week at the U.S. Open. I mean, at the PGA Championship, he was fourth. But more importantly, maybe. His history here is great. 32nd in 2020, well, that's not great. But in 2019, fifth, 2018, second, and 2017, fifth, uh, it does seem like a course that fits his style. And 2015, another runner-up. So in his last six trips, he has two fifths, two runner-up finishes. His worst finish is a 32nd. I I was expecting him to be more expensive than this. And also a lot of his stats, you know, we, uh, again, and I've said this before, but I, I need to remind people, if you're looking at his PGA Tour stats, they're not including his European Tour victory in January. So his stats are probably better than whatever you are seeing if there was a, you know, world golf database, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, this this is this is seemingly a great spot for him. That's why, that's why I was saying, he should have been more expensive than Patrick Reed. Yeah, and let me give just a slight watch out to Paul Casey. And, and I don't want to get, again, too granular with this, but it, it, for those of you that just want to lock button Paul Casey in, which you probably won't do at that price, but for those of you that really want to play him, the, the proximities between 75 and 125 over the last 24 rounds, they're not great. So that's just something just to keep an eye on. I mean, I don't know how much you want to lean on him with, with that in mind. Yeah, so uh, I have the full season uh, data here. 75 to 100, he is 117th. 100 to 125 yards, he's 151st. Not great. And it's actually a little bit surprising considering what a good ball striker that Paul Casey is. Um, I am locked and loaded, I believe, on Abraham answer. I imagine, Sia, that a lot of others are going to be as as well. This is one of the few events where his lack of distance is not going to hurt him. And even with the lack of distance, he has been a constant gainer off the tee outside of the U.S. Open. He gained in every event dating back to the Valero Texas Open. He is great on approach. The putter scares me a little bit. But again, outside of last week, which if you want to write off last week, the, the numbers from answer are unbelievable. And this should be a really good setup for him. Yeah, I guess I don't mind writing off last week. The problem with answer, and it's not a huge problem, depending on what type of tournament or cash game you're playing. He's definitely going to be popular because he's he's really in a sweet spot at 9,100, especially when you compare him to the rest of the field in that 9K range. So it's, I totally, it's a shocking. It's a shocking price, I think. I think he's going to be very, very popular. 
Well, the fact that Streelman is not like, I hate to go back to it, but the fact that they're not at least swapped where Streelman is not, I mean, let's be honest, Streelman should probably be like 8,700 or like 8,900 or something like that. But the fact that he's above answer is really kind of strange to me. But yeah, I like answer. I'm not in, I don't know that I'm in love with him. I I think he's as good as he's been. I I think he's let me down a few more times and he's really stepped up for me in in DraftKings, which is why I'm kind of going for like just the flat out scores. And I think Scotty Scheffler really fits that bill now that I'm looking at 2020, it's a missed cut, but I, I don't really care about that too much. His form is really good. Seventh last week, third at the Memorial, missed cut before that. But in general, he's been making cuts and he's been top tenning. I'm looking at in the last seven tournaments, four top tens, which is really impressive. But more importantly, on a quote birdie fest, This is the type of guy I want. I want a guy, yeah, of course he can get cold. I mean, any golfer can get cold, but I want a guy that can really string a lot of birdies together and just really attack a course. And I I feel like that's what Scotty Scheffler does. He's got a 59 in his career, uh, did it at the end of last season. So we know he can certainly get hot. The other thing, again, I, I, I described this range as curious. Could you imagine a scenario a couple of weeks ago where I would have told you Tony Finau would be less expensive than Matthew Wolf? (laughs) <laughs> right. No. I mean, is it no. right? Isn't that a little bit? Uh, I mean, I'm just looking through the pricing, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just scratching my head over and over again here. So Matthew Wolf doesn't play since the Zurich Classic. He finishes 15th at the U.S. Open. Again, probably not even as reflective of how good he played. He kind of faltered uh, a bit on Sunday and, and and fell down the board. Tony Finau missed the cut at the U.S. Open. Wolf is 93. Finau is 92. Did you see enough from Matt Wolf to want to start investing in him? Yeah, actually. And I'm I'm as shocked as anybody that I actually uh, answered that question in the affirmative. If you look at what he did last week, he was other than around the green, he was kind of like dominant everywhere. He was good off the tee. He was good on approach. He was good with the putter, as we can see here. Uh, That's that's impressive. And so I I don't know that we're going to get the same exact thing, but that looks like the Matt Wolf that we were playing, you know, late last year. So I'm glad you brought this up because this right here, I'm circling his off the tee number from last week because we had been keeping a very, very close eye on his driver. And when he started to lose the driver at the end of 2020, I've probably made the comment. It, It is very difficult and very bad when a golfer loses their best weapon. And it usually takes a long time to come back. And Wolf struggled from CJ Cup to the Masters. He struggled with the driver. What we saw at the US Open, gaining four and a half strokes off the tee, that is kind of peak Wolf that we saw at the end of last year. So if that if that is back I think he's very live at a lot of places moving forward. I mean, we're gonna get we're gonna get Rocket Mortgage next week. I think he finished runner up there to uh, to Bryson last year. I mean, I, I think this could this could set up to be a pretty good stretch for him. I'm very curious to see what Matthew Wolf's ownership is because I mean, obviously, people are kind of warming up to him after what they saw from him last week. It's also a really great story, so I think people just tend to want to play guys like that in, in those particular types of uh, situations. The kind of, kind of comeback story. I don't know what his ownership is going to be, but if it's low, I'm definitely going to play him. If it's, I don't think it's going to be super high, but if it's, if it's as high as let's say uh, like a Scotty Scheffler, for example, I'm going to opt to play Scotty Scheffler. He was two percent owned last week. I imagine it's going to be higher than that. Will it be in single digits? Could it be nine percent? I think it'll be in single digits because there's so many attractive names around here and you you can't jam, you, there's only so many 9k jam, uh, guys you can jam into your lineup. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be in the single digits. I actually I actually think 8 or 9% is kind of right where it's probably going to be. Okay. Well, 
We've got to go down to the 8K range. Then we've got to get into the pure value on this board. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. The not one, not two, but three-time champion Bubba Watson leads off the $8,000 range. He is 8900 Brian Harmon, Cameron Smith, Charlie Hoffman right behind. And then it's rounded out by Siwoo Kim, Justin Rose, Russell Henley in contention a lot last week. Harris English, who posted last week and everybody almost fell down around him. And then Mark Leishman and Adam Scott round out this $8,000 range. See ya. Um, wow, we got a lot to talk about here. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I think. I, well, first of all, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm curious to see where ownership goes. It's funny where where you were headed. By the way, you want you thought I was going to start on Charlie Hoffman, or maybe that was like a, a happy accident. <laughs> but I, I'll start with Hoffman and Bubba Watson because sure. they were really bad over the weekend. I mean, really bad. And I wonder if that's going to sour some people. I mean, especially when it comes to Charlie Hoffman. I think he's he he's obviously a good course fit here. He's been striking the ball really great. I wonder if we're at a point with Hoffman where we're, we're about to see some aggression just some so just some general decline from a golfer who is not really as elite as the ball striking suggests over the last few months Ooh, interesting okay so c is absolutely right both on uh saturday and sunday last week charlie hoffman was not only a loser on approach but he was a loser putting it was two two pretty sour rounds for him uh to close out the u.s open see i actually thought you were going to go in a different direction with charlie hoffman which yes maybe this is the beginning of an end for a guy who was running over expectations expectation with his irons and his and his wedges in hand or maybe we're just now numb to Charlie Hoffman you know he has piled up this this happened with Corey Connors too he he was just piling up top 20s he was doing it in a way that was super great it was tee to green it was ball striking and he didn't win and everyone was like well he didn't win i'm just going to move on to the next guy <laughs> you know what i mean we we go through these cycles so often and that's where i thought you were going on Charlie Hoffman instead of maybe saying this might be him coming back to earth. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like just like we like to predict when the upward trajectory is about to start so we can get the benefit of a guy early. The the reverse is true as well, where we want to maybe start laying off a guy where he might actually be regressing to the mean a little bit. And we want to be early on that too. So I, I think Charlie Hoffman is an okay play. I really didn't like how he ejected both Saturday and Sunday. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, it could be just like he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something. I'm not really sure. And of course, the U.S. Open is, is kind of a treacherous track. But with all that said, 
I like Hoffman, but I've found myself, the lineups that I've built so far, I've found myself sort of skipping this range entirely. But I will say this. I do like Harris English. You know, we were we were yeah. sort of keen to Harris English, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago. I know Greg brought up, you know, the back injury and how that, that seemed to have resolved. The back injury none of us ever really knew about, but it seemed to have resolved. And the finishing positions really are reflective of that. And, and looking at this chart now, I mean, off the tee, not great until recently, but look at the ball striking. I mean, the last. Well, yeah. What what I would say is when Harris English is at his best, he's gaining strokes in all four categories. Doesn't have to be a lot in in any single one, but he is gaining strokes across the board. He has done that in each of his last two starts. If you look a little bit further down, that's what he did a lot in 2020. Uh, you know, the driver even at times in 2020 wasn't great, but hang it around zero. If you hang it around zero, you can go out there and you can, you can content. I mean, he was a zero driver at the Northern trust and that's when he finished runner up to DJ when DJ absolutely scorched earth, everybody by 10 shots or whatever it ended up, ended up being. So I, I actually am with, I'm with you here. Sia, that we might be starting to see signs that Harris English is, is returning back to that 2020 form which was very, very good. Like top 10 player in terms of strokes gained total. Like that's what he was in 2020. And I'm, I'm getting pretty optimistic here and they're hanging a number at only 8,200. That makes him certainly viable for a lot of builds. Yeah, it's interesting. Him and Russell Henley back to back, two guys who performed really, really well just last week. I mean, obviously, this is a different course, but Harris English seems like the right play to me. I, I do want to mention one thing, though, that the last three years he played here, he didn't play in 2020, but he did in 2019, 2018, 2017. And we're looking at 71st miscut, miscut. Now, yep. that was a different Harris English. You know, the, the, he was Definitely. never the ball striker that he was just like late last year and, and before this uh, back injury. But that's just something to consider. Maybe, I mean, with two missed cuts and a 71st place finish, it certainly doesn't seem like a, a track that like fits his eye, if you will. But that doesn't mean he's not going to do well this week. Yeah, he made a huge leap in 2020. I mean, he was uh, he was a almost exactly tour average player from 2016 to 2019. He made a leap in 2020. Um, has not been able to get back to that here in 2021, but but still very very good. I'm I'm pretty keen on uh, Brian Harmon who I was not expecting much from last week at Torrey Pines. He ends up finishing 19th. He's, uh, again, a guy similar to Abraham Answer who has been gaining strokes off the tee or hitting to a zero without the distance, which means he's playing out of the short grass a lot, and then he's been hitting his irons well enough. He, we know he can get absolutely scorching hot with the putter, and he has two top 10s in his last three trips to TPC River Highland. So he is someone um, that I wrote down You know, Saturday, when I, when I was looking at the field Saturday night, I was like, let me just keep a close eye on, on Brian Harmon and see what number he comes out at. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, it, it's weird a little bit because when you look at him, let's say over the last 24 rounds, the grade isn't great. And it's because of look, look what we see here. I guess it's at the RBC and the Wells Fargo. Yeah. Where on approach, he was just kind of a disaster. So I, I think to your point, I, I think there's something that like we, we need to kind of call out that's really important. When you're looking at, let's say, last 24 rounds, sometimes you do need to kind of hyper focus on what we're looking at right now, which is just tournament by tournament. What, what was happening and where when did it happen? Because one tournament or maybe two tournaments out of five or six can really skew the numbers and, and if 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 you look at the last three tournaments i mean he's clearly on approach i'm talking specifically he's clearly gaining in a significant way so that's just something to consider when you're looking for those of you that are doing modeling that's something to look out for there's a big difference between being a zero 
in a category because you're always around zero or being a zero in a category because one week you gain five, the next week you lose five, then you gain seven, you lose seven. And both of those types of players are valuable in different ways. One very consistent might be great for your last man in or a cash game. And one very volatile might be a great GPP play because he has the ability to tap in to that upside. I will note those two events in which Brian Harmon lost about 11 strokes combined, top 20s in both of them. So he was able to figure out a way to get the ball in the cup. The rest of this $8,000 range, we've got a Pete Dye specialist in Siwoo Kim. He was on that list of golfers that I showed earlier. Uh, the bottom of it is some savvy vets, Mark Leishman and Adam Scott. I, I'm not as hot on Scott as I was as I was last week, but is there anybody else in this 8K range that we should be considering? Not really. I mean, I, you know, the veteran presence of like your Justin Roses, your Adam Scotts, those are interesting, especially at those price ranges. But I, I just I haven't been on them all year. I'm not going to change that right now. I, I think Mark Leishman is interesting, uh, but I don't think I'm going to play him. Oh, I guess we have to talk about the three time champ, Bubba Watson, who has played OK. His last three haven't been great. If you look back at his last eight, it's been a lot better. Obviously, a lot of great vibes around here. I tend, Sia, to always think when someone has elite course history like this, it will inflate his number. It will inflate his ownership. It, it, to me, I tend to just kind of avoid these scenarios. And with you know Abraham Answer, Joaquin Neiman right above, Brian Harmon, even Charlie Hoffman, guys that are I'm, I'm comfortable with below, I don't see myself having a huge stake in Bubba Watson this week. Yeah, I'm on the same track you are on from just a, a global standpoint, unless there are specific you know metrics or rankings that that show me otherwise. And it's not looking good, especially, I mean, off the tee, he's great. But on approach with the putter, it really hasn't been. Oh, wow. Look at all that red. It has not been good lately. Yeah, he's lost off. He's lost on approach in four straight and he's lost a lot and he's lost putting in three straight, which is normal. You would expect that. What I want to see out of Bubba is this right here, where at the end of 2020, he was really great off the as expected, and he was really great on approach. He couldn't putt. I understand that. That's that's built in. But this is the version of Bubba that I want to see, and we're not really seeing that right now. So unless he's going to flip a switch at a place where he's got a lot of great vibes, I'm I'm pessimistic. Unfortunately, agree. Seven thousand dollar range, large range. We've already hit on a guy at the top, which we'll talk about. But it's Garrick Higo and Keegan Bradley at the top, followed by Homa and Phil Mickelson. Then, then down at the bottom, at seven thousand dollar flat, there's a lot of guys. There's Doug Gim, Ches Reeve, Luke List, Taylor Gooch. So plenty of names to talk about here. See, where would you like to begin? Well, I'd like to begin with the guy that's probably underpriced, and that's Keegan Bradley at seventy nine hundred. I mean, we can look at his stuff. It's really kind of impressive. Not kind of. It's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen on your site, Rick, because it's just straight green until the September or August of 2020. L look at the ball striking. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. So ball striking, again, if you're unfamiliar, is strokes gained off the tee plus strokes gained approach. It is not an official PGA Tour stat, but one that is comprised of two official PGA Tour stats. And Keegan Bradley has gained in that category every single event since the Northern Trust. That was August of 2020. Now, the putter for a long time for Keegan Bradley has been an issue, but not so much Recently, he's gained strokes in six of his last eight stroke game putting. That is the five strokes that he lost around the greens at the Memorial is the worst in my database. So unlikely that happens again. He's a New Englander. 
he's finished in the top 10 here twice. See, it, it, it is, it is really becoming difficult for me to make a case against Keegan Bradley. I, I think it's almost impossible to make the case. And I, and I hate to jinx anybody, but if this guy isn't like a, a lock in your cash game lineups, then then I, I don't know what you're doing. I mean, obviously for, for tournaments, you do have to consider ownership. Let, let's see where he sits. But honestly, I, I'm willing. This is one of those things, even though I always say when you're in that 7K range and there's a really chalky guy, it's usually bad news. Like that's sort of where Harold Barner always sits when he's popular. He's like <laughs> 7,700 and everybody wants to play him and he misses the cut. But in this particular case, I I think I'm going to go against that rule and just play a, a lot of Keegan. So I'm a big fan there. Other guys, go ahead. Yeah, please, no, please, please yeah. take it away. I was going to say other guys I liked, uh, Aaron Wise. So you might recall at the Memorial, I was really big on this guy. I even had an outright on him at like 150 to one or something crazy. Well, I have an outright on, on him now as well. Um, I think it opened at like 85 to one in some places. Unfortunately, I was only able to get him at, at around 70 to one. But so speaking of ball striking, this is a guy who's gained ball striking 11 out of the last 13 tournaments, as we can see up here. The, the the bugaboo for him, I mean, look at the putter. Look how yeah. I mean this is I mean, this is so unbelievably bad, the putter, and at the waste management losing over 10 strokes with the putter. Yeah. However, when when you gain twice in a row, and it's the last two times he's been out at the PGA and at the memorial, when you gain twice in a row and significantly, not like 0. 0.07, but you're gaining three and a half, two and a half strokes, it tells me that maybe, and we're dealing with maybes all the time in golf, it tells me that maybe you have found something with the putter. So if you are a ball striker who's gained strokes ball striking in 11 out of the last 13 tournaments, and you may have found something with the putter, then you are drastically underpriced at 7,400 and you have tremendous upside. Yeah, and the upside is the key word, and that's what I like about Aaron Wise. He's got one, two, three, I'll give him that one, four, five. I mean, he just, he's got a lot of top tens recently, or I guess more. I mean, he misses the cut a lot, but he also offsets them with top tens. So when you get him right, it is it is worth your while. It is, again, kind of similar to what I was describing before. You know, his average finish might be 55th, but if he does it with a missed cut and a 10th, that's valuable as opposed to him finishing 53rd. 57, 61st. Like, I don't care about that. I want, I want the upside. So Aaron Wise certainly fits that mold. How do you feel about Garrick Higo? Because this is a guy that we don't have very much data on. We've got the worldwide stuff. We know he's won a bunch worldwide. We know he in his second PGA tour start, he wins the Palmetto, then immediately misses the cut at the US Open, which I don't blame him for one single bit. But I feel as if we are still trying to figure out what this kid is. Yeah, and I don't think I'm there yet with Garrett Higo. I think there's enough guys immediately below him, uh, not so much above him, but immediately below him that I'll probably want to play and maybe save some dollars on, like your, your Sam Burns is of the world, um, Emiliano Grillo, for example. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with him. I mean, Higo's sort of a heavy hitter. He'll probably be pretty good off the tee. Um, and obviously he's shown he can win and he can close tournaments both on on the PGA, I almost said our tour, uh, on the PGA tour and the European tour. But I don't think uh, that might be a deeper dive for me. I don't think I'm going to get there with Higo. I'm contractually obligated to point out Doc Redman, who uh, is coming off of a T2 the last time we saw him. He finished T11 at this event last year. And again, this is a guy that you're trying to catch early. We're starting to see signs of improvement with the approach game. He's gained in four straight. That's much more reminiscent of what we saw last summer when he was piling up great finishes. The putter, five in a row there. That's something I don't believe he's done in his career. He has not. So we're starting to see gains from doc. Again, he's just a 
a couple of good drives away from probably really contending. So that's interesting. How about the bottom half of this $7,000 range as we get to Guido? Migliozzi, as we get to Carlos Ortiz, Mac Hughes, or any of these names intriguing you? Uh, I mentioned Emiliano Grillo. I like him. Another yeah. one that's interesting to me, and by the way, Grillo hasn't been very good off the tee either, uh, but he does tend to keep it in the fairway. So I, I think a lot of those strokes that he's losing are, are, are pertaining more to the distance than him just kind of keeping the ball straight. We know he's a good ball striker. Uh, and, and the putting, I, I believe, has come around a little bit. So I don't mind Grillo at that price in particular. Uh, Kyle Stanley's really interesting to me. So he's a guy that's, I mean, we laughed about this about a month ago. I mean, he's such a bad putter, but he's such a good ball striker. Somehow, though, with all of that bad putting, he continues to make cuts. I think he's made five cuts in a row now, and that's mm-hmm. with losing several strokes per tournament, if not more, with the putter. So it's so one of those bad. things. It's, it's it's actually kind of amazing, and we, we just yeah. talked about it maybe with Harmon or somebody else. It's kind of amazing that you can lose that many strokes putting and still like make cuts, and not just make cuts, but like finish at a pretty good clip, 42nd, 8th, 26th, 39th, 23rd. Look at all the... There's one, there's one tournament where he gained a ton of strokes putting and everything else is is a disaster. It's 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 actually quite amazing. Yeah, I think that's I think it's fun. The the only other guy that I would be kind of interested here in the bottom of the seven K range is Taylor Gooch, who to me I think is a hair mispriced. He's made five cuts in a row, six of his last seven, one of them being the Zurich Classic. He's coming in with two top twenty finishes in a row. Generally, a better ball striker than a lot of his peers in this range. Doesn't have a great set of results at TPC River Highlands, but I would be pretty comfortable plugging. Taylor Gooch. Eh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I, I like him because I like the price. I do think Gooch gets talked about a lot. And I think that tends to maybe overrate him and, and it gets people to play him a little bit more than maybe they should. But I mean, that price, I, I can't deny. I did want to point out that I think Chesson Hadley is a really, really, really sneaky play coming off a second place finish at the Palmetto. And and we, we recall before Chesson was bad, Chesson was really good with the ball striking. He was really good on approach. And then he was bad for a huge stretch. So uh, I don't mind taking a shot with him. Maybe he's good again. Maybe he's good again. Maybe he's good again. The $6,000 range, Adam Hadwin, Danny Lee, David Lipsky, Keith Mitchell, all the way down to, let's see. Oh, boy. William McGirt, <laughs> Jonas Blixt, Hunter Mahan, Brian Gay, Alex Beach. Those are your min, min price golfers this week. Rafael Campos also on that list. Let's find some value. Sia, where are we looking? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm going to say, uh, by the way, there's a couple guys down there that aren't just that aren't awful. But, you know, I'm going to say Hammer and Hank Leviota at 6,700. I, I like him. Um, he's been a little erratic, erratic off the tee and on approach. But, uh, but the ball striking in general has been actually really good with him. Um, the putter can get hot at times. Um, he has made some cuts. So I think he is a, a pretty good value with some upside. So what I find interesting, and this kind of goes back to the conversation we were having earlier, he was 10% owned at Palmetto, which he was very pop. Like that's very popular for him because Mm -hmm. before that he had barely cracked through 4% ever. He, he played fine. He finished 31st, but I also feel like now people will have forgotten about that. And if you may, uh, there's no way he hits 9% again, right? Like, I just feel like he right. did his job. He was fine. He didn't burn anybody. Nobody's excited to play him. 
He's still there. He's still there and playing well. <laughs> yeah, he's still there and he's still playing well. Uh, a couple other guys I like. I mean, David Lipsky is, is interesting to me. Um, obviously, he had the eighth place finish at Palmetto. Um, I, I think he's a strong player. We just kind of don't know it yet because he hasn't really been on the, on the PGA Tour. But I think when you're down in this range, that's a decent guy to take a shot at. And I know I had... I know I had at least one other guy in the mid 6K range. Oh, of course. How could I forget? Rick, oh. who do I have in the low 6K uh, range? I don't even know how much he is, but it's got to be Vincent Whaley. It's got to be Vincent Whaley. How yeah. much is it? I, it's 6,400. Oh, I got him. Yeah, I got him. And it's one of those things. Like, I'm not, I don't want to ignore the Palmetto because it's weird, like, how poorly he played there. He was with brutal. Yeah. The, with that said, though, I mean, there were what? nine cuts before that that he made and finished in you know within the top 30 so when he's listen if he was 6900 or even leviota's price range that'd be different but if you're trying to build a lineup with studs you kind of have to dip into the 60 i'm not advising it but i'm just saying if you wanted to stack like dj and cantley for example you know what that leaves you it leaves you seven thousand and fifty dollars so what like what do you have to do you, you want to play four guys that are in that 7k range or do you want to dip down in, into a low 6k range with somebody like a vincent whaley so that you can spring back up to like the 7500s the 7400s or what have you the argument is that that miscut at palmetto where he lost five strokes on approach is is the outlier because otherwise he's been he's been really good. So maybe we'll give Whaley one more crack. The names that stood out to me, Soshi Kadira on a course that is not going to require distance is always important to me. He's gained strokes off the tee in six consecutive events. The last three have been top 20 finishes. The last three, he's been gaining on approach and he has been lights out with the putter. I'm not sure how long this continues, but he is at $6,500. And then the other one that I had, Oh, you said it, it was David Lipsky. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Um, he's, he's just been, he's been grinding on the corn ferry. He will graduate. He will get his tour card for next year. He finished eighth at Palmetto. Also, I just saw that, uh, Seamus power, qualified monday qualified mm -hmm. so he will uh likely be added to this field either this afternoon or on tuesday morning so uh, some of those corn fairy guys to me are always always appealing so those were the two that i was most excited about here yeah and i saw you sort of scan over troy Merritt's name and i think he's worthy of at least a conversation i mean not necessarily i don't mean that literally but i think it, at 6800 you could probably put him in your lineup and, and feel some safety at least as it pertains to the rest the other 6k guys you might need to use the good news about Merritt, outside of the fact that he has three top eight finishes in his last six starts and he has a top 10 here, is that this is one of the places where his lack of distance is not going to be completely detrimental. And he made the cut at the U.S. Open last week. He made the cut at the Memorial. So those are the two more you know difficult courses that he has seen recently. And he found a weekend. And then he's posted top 10s at a couple other events. Anybody else? Anybody else uh, we need to talk about here? I really want to find somebody in that famous like 6,200, 6,100 range. I mean, Jason Duffner is down here at 6,300. I, I think that's at least interesting, especially on a course like this. Um, but I think that's – I mean, Jim Herman. What's what's Chase Kepka been up to? Uh, not yep. not anything great. Yeah, but Kepka. Let's see. Uh, Corn Ferry miscut 53rd, 63rd, 30th, 40. I mean, no, this is that's actually last year. He's only played his most recent event that he's played that is an official world golf ranking event was oh, it was last week. He finished, he missed the cut. And then three weeks before that, he finished 53rd. Three weeks before that, he finished 63rd. Six weeks before that, he played the Honda Classic. He actually finished T30 there, but he, he hasn't even played a lot, or at least in events that are 
official World Golf ranking sanctioned events. So not yeah, much I don't. Play. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I'm going to go there with him. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying I'm 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 working hard. I'm working hard for you. I don't see anybody down here. <laughs> uh, Alex Beach sounds like a fake name, by the way. I'm not sure that's a real person. <laughs> Alex I mean, Beach, six thousand. No way, that's a real person. He just played. Didn't he just play the PGA Championship? Wasn't he a? Isn't he a PGA pro? That oh boy, now I got to look into this. Alex Beach. Oh well, he doesn't he, have an official World Golf ranking page. Just great. Always a good sign. Alex Beach. I'm pretty sure he just. I think he's a uh, a teaching pro. Don't don't quote me on that. Missed the cut at the PGA Championship. He missed the cut at the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship, which was in March. Here is four rounds on tour this year. 74, 78, 75, 86. Oh boy. Yeah, no, you don't. I don't think you want to play Alex Beach. I do. Uh, Sorry, I'm just now I'm in the Alex Beach worm, uh, you know, rabbit <laughs> hole. Thank you. <laughs> that's how that's how deep we dig uh, on uh, the first cut. But th- there's one guy I think is worthy of mentioning who who actually is a scorer, and it certainly was last year, not so much this year, but has actually had some decent finishing positions at this course. And it's Peter Malnati at 6100. I'm not recommending you go into a range that's lower than 6400, or even that's lower than 7k necessarily. But I think Malnati is at least interesting. He can might maybe string some some birdies together for you. Might string some birdies together for you is certainly something that I'm looking for in all of my golfers. See, I think that's going to do it. This has been your DFS preview for this week's Travelers Championship. We will be back on Tuesday for the Mega Preview Pod and obviously goodies after the rounds this week. But for now, let me thank producer Jacob. He does all the hard work behind the scenes. Let me thank Sia Najad, who you can find on Twitter at Sia Najad. And you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut and we'll catch you next time. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!